your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name's Mike Rankin. I will be your host, James Fox, with us. Thank goodness we're at this point of draft season, James, because, boy, that was a lot of work. The White Sox finished 10 picks, and we're going to go over those 10 picks, specifically day one and two, which includes day one, a high school pitcher for the first time in over 20 years. That's where we're going to start today, but we're going to break it down. We're going to go through all of the selections, organizational philosophy. It tells us a lot about the direction of the White Sox. And really, in year three of Mike Shirley's tenure as amateur scouting director, a new direction, which is really, really exciting. But James, let's start. Noah Schultz, left-handed pitcher out of Oswego High School here in Illinois. 18 years old. He is 6'9", 225. What do you think of what the White Sox have now in this prep pitcher? Something that we haven't seen in, in a long, long time. Yeah, so I mean, I guess it was more surprise than anything when I started getting the messages like a couple minutes before the pick the other night, like on the spaces that they were taking him. And I was just like, you know, I was almost mad at myself because, you know, I knew that they really liked him. I knew that they were one of the teams that was very high on him. But like, you know, you would hear like three million, four million thrown around like Scott Boris guy going to Vandy like he's eligible in two years. But the thing that I kept coming back to with Schultz is like, and I think I said this on the spaces, like he pitched this summer, like he's been pitching this summer for the Sparks and like guys that are like determined to go to campus, don't do that. So, you know, I was like, he's signable. My thought was somebody would push him into the second and get him the three or three and a half million. Sox did it in round one. And I guess from now on, every demographic is, is on the board, right? I mean... Mike Shirley, the last three years, he's taken Garrett Crochet, college pitcher, Colson Montgomery, high school position player, and now a high school pitcher. You know, they haven't done it since 2001 with Providence, Chris Honnell. It did not end well. This is just, you know, it's super interesting. It oozes with upside. I mean, obviously, this guy was supposed to be like a top 20 pick. And the thing that fascinates me is it seems like it's not even going to be over slot. It, it, you know, I, I kind of reported that today. Like, I, I heard it it might not even be $3 million, which is surprising to me and just tells me that, you know, the White Sox area scouts did a great job again. This guy wants to go pro. He wants to be on the White Sox. I don't know for sure if he grew up like some huge Sox fan or not as we go, but, you know, it's definitely interesting. He's going to get his pro career started, and since he's been throwing, he's going to be pitching in the Arizona Complex League, I would say, within the next few weeks. I thought I saw a quote from Schultz saying that his father grew up a Dodgers fan, so he wasn't a Cubs or a Sox fan. The The decision to go left-handed high school talent, though, James, in the first round, I think, like you mentioned, they covered all the demographics, essentially, in the first round over the last three years of Mike Shirley, but I was left thinking, okay, I need to reevaluate <laughs> how I look at the way the White Sox are going to commit to this farm system, because... They are stockpiling some high school talent now, and that is something that we haven't seen the White Sox do. And in terms of the high school talent, these are like you know top round talent, top ten round talent in the system now. So I mean, this is you know years down the road. We're talking about development, but 
the idea to commit to the prep player nowadays, James, is, is fascinating that the White Sox are willing to go that route. And we heard Mike Shirley on Friday speak to the media and say that they're not afraid of the high school player. I just wasn't expecting the high school player at 26. But at this point, Noah Schultz has so much upside that it makes sense to me as to why they fall in love with the player. When you look at the frame, it's concerning because of the length. You know, you never see, or I shouldn't say never, but you don't typically see somebody with this type of frame develop and turn into a starting pitcher that ultimately pitches for a long time in the big leagues as a starter. This screams late inning reliever to me, maybe even long reliever. However, when you look at the stuff, I saw enough and I understand why the White Sox want this kid. Fastball mid 90s when he flashed in limited work, and I'm talking not over an elongated outing when you have five innings under his belt or as a starter, you know, he's sitting 90, 93, if that. But when he can bump it up there, he can get it up to 97 miles an hour. And he's got arm side run to it as well. The slider is phenomenal uh, in terms of the prep class, it's one of the best pitches in the entire country. But also, it's a pretty developed pitch at this point that can get better. So when your fastball slider is a left-hander, he also throws a changeup that's arm side run, that has arm side run, I should say, as well. Similar looking to his fastball that's got the two-seam action to it. When you see a guy like Noah Schultz, along with the fact that the White Sox are not afraid of the risk involved in taking a high school player, what does that tell you? about Mike Shirley's philosophy moving forward and, and what he's been able to do over three years in this draft. This dude is big game hunting, like for sure. And I think they're just trying to get the most bang for their buck, like out of a small bonus pool. And he kind of talked about that, how, you know, he wasn't necessarily going to be able to like overslot, overslot, and then go cheap later. But it seems like, I mean, if the first two guys are slot, you know, and we'll get to Paulette in a minute, like, it's a lot of upside for that slot, right? And I don't know. Like, Mike Shirley talked about it on Friday. Like, he talked about how it was like a light pitching class and their preference would be pitching. But then he went on and on and on about the hitters. So I just assumed he was going to take hitters again, and he was lying. I mean, it turns out their preference was pitching. And, yeah, I mean, this is just – like, Keith Law and I believe Carlos Colazzo each had the White Sox taking Robbie Snelling – who was a, a prep lefty out of Reno, Nevada. He ended up going to San Diego in like the 30s. So, you know, those that's two guys that projected the White Sox to take a prep lefty in the first round. So, you know, maybe it wasn't like as crazy as we thought. I just think like we fell on 20 years of history, you know? So, you know, the Sox clearly love this guy. Like I had heard they really liked Tucker Tolman. I thought that was going to be the pick. Tucker Tolman went 77 to Toronto. They have extra money. It sounds like they're probably going to sign him for like two and a half million. What that tells me is they just decided that they they preferred Noah Schultz, and that's fine. I think we have to trust them. I mean, there's obvious. I I don't know. Are they red flags? Like he's six nine. Like this isn't like a thing, really. Like guys this tall, like don't become starters. I guess my retort would be like how many guys this tall try to become starters and fail, right? Because all we hear about is like, oh, Randy Johnson and. Chris Young are the only ones that were able to do it and like everybody else like stinks but like I don't know I guess I need to know like that percentage number like how many six nine guys are like trying to pitch and and like flaming out in the minors that we don't know about you know how truly uncommon is it and should it really matter I mean Yuri Perez of the Marlins as a righty 
and he was just in the Futures game. And he's six eight, and he's like the best pitching prospect in the minors. So it's an inch shorter. So these are different White Sox. And Colson Montgomery last year, like that, that's panning out. Obviously, um, Mike Shirley's definitely not afraid to take risks. And I think in the Nick Hosteller era, and like you know, we've always talked about how good Nick was to us. And I don't even necessarily think this was Nick's fault. I think it was more of an organizational thing. This is just much, much different than that and what they were doing then. The way the White Sox were interested in playing it safe in terms of their bonus pool across the 10 rounds here. And we're going to get to the remaining nine picks outside of Noah Schultz. We're going to stick to this here because you, you mentioned that, you know, the Vandy come in and he pitched for the Sparks in the summer league. He told reporters, Noah Schultz did, that he's signing with the organization in so many words. You know, he's, he said he was, he's not going to pass up on this opportunity. And that tells me that the White Sox were selling him on some things. I wonder how committed he wants to be as a starting pitcher. And I also wonder how patient the White Sox will be as well, because this is a different situation than anything we've seen before. This is an 18-year-old with limited innings under his belt, which is encouraging. I always like to see guys with, with low miles on their arm like Eric Crochet when he was drafted because there's so much potential in what you can do because of the strength there. You know, you're not worn down, just common sense. But also at the same time with this specific pick, you're going to have time. At 18 years old, he's going to essentially this season, we can assume, I think, safely that he'll pitch in the ACL this year, which will be cool. And not, nothing crazy, but a handful of innings under his belt. And then you get a full offseason and we'll see what they want to do with him as a 19 year old in full season professional baseball. But the point I'm trying to make here is you can wait in the development here with this kid. You don't have to push him quickly, which is, I think, a win for Schultz. Because he's got three pitches, two of them are plus, and if you want to consider the changeup plus, that's fine. I'm, I'm not sold on it yet, but as an 18-year-old with a fastball that does have some ride, that gets up to 97 miles an hour when he wants to bring it, now that's not sustainable as a starter, but who knows what can become of this player when he fills out a professional build and continues to, to get stronger in a professional organization. I don't know. I think I'm talking myself into a lot of optimism here, but it's unlikely... To, like just it, for history's sake, it's unlikely to say that Schultz will be a starting pitcher for the long haul. But at 26, James, even if this is a major league pitcher that comes out of your bullpen and turns out to be a back end reliever, there's value here. Yeah. And I mean, look, they definitely think he's a starter. I think the best part about this pick is that he's a high schooler because if it's this profile, right out of college, Right now, we're having a conversation about how the White Sox are going to rush this guy to the big leagues and like try to pitch him out of the bullpen this year. And that's not going to happen with this 18-year-old. He's going to go to Arizona. Maybe he throws 10 innings. Maybe it's less than that. I don't know. You ramp him up, and you send him to Kannapolis next year to start next year. And he's probably innings limited a little bit, you know, similarly to other guys. But, I mean, that's a that's an interesting rotation in Kannapolis, headlined by uh, Noah Schultz and... You know, you'll have Tanner McDougal there probably. And, you know, we could get into some of the pitching depth. They added a ton of pitchers today where you'll actually have pitchers and affiliates finally next year, it seems like. So, I mean, they think he's a starter. I think, he, you know, I think he's quite a, I don't know, like he's pretty far away, you would think. But, like, it doesn't take much, right? Like, if he goes to A-ball and he's too much for those guys, then he's going to move quick. And then we'll see. And, 
Obviously, he's never had a Tommy John, so I think you just assume at this point that everybody has one. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, I think we just we need to see him. But, I mean, if the White Sox are right, this is a top 100 prospect in baseball quickly and one of the best left-handed starters in all the minor leagues. I mean, this is like what this guy was projected to be early on was, you know, I said, like he was in the 15 to 20 range. He was the best prep lefty in this class. Um, and then he just like didn't pitch. And I think a lot of people thought he was going to school and he, he was going to go to Vandy and awesome players go to Vandy. Right. And he's going to the White Sox instead. I just think it was a little stunning and it's hard to register. Like you didn't, it gets even hard for me to like fully encapsulate like, oh, they mm-hmm. actually did this last night. Right. I didn't see it coming. And maybe I should have a little bit more just out of some stuff that I've heard, but you know, it's the White Sox and they're weird. And I just, I didn't know, like they, they break barriers and, you know, like I told you pre-show, I'm sure Rick Hahn will tell us about it. Like they do with everything else, but this is another one. I mean, they took a prep pitcher in the first round. They haven't done it in a long time, even though they've spent similar money on prep pitchers, right? It wasn't in the first round. Now they've done it. Now they're a true wild card. They could literally do anything in any draft now. And it really wouldn't surprise me that much. So you mentioned some of the younger pitchers. I mean, at 19 years old, Christian Mena is dominating this season, which is like, it gets us giddy, right? I mean, he's already in advanced day Winston-Salem, so he's holding his own. And this is a guy that we've been following for two to three years now at this point. It's finally coming together for Mena, and we're looking forward to Norhe Vera, but he's older, and he's still in his first full professional season stateside. So it's like some of the dynamics that the White Sox are working with within their farm system is you have older pitchers with not a lot of experience, but young pitchers who have been within the organization for several seasons now to this point. And you look down the road, that's where Noah Schultz is going to be. And that's part of the reason why prep players are so valuable because the years of development that you have as an 18, 19, 20 year old is so much more valuable than when it is a college player who's already at essentially his peak development path um, outside a professional organization. And you talk about three years. Well, if you draft a college player, sometimes after three years in your system, they're 25 years old already. So just a little perspective to add there. But speaking of college players, let's move on, James, unless you have anything, go ahead. Yeah. So really quick, one other like takeaway I think that's important and Mike Shirley talked about this Friday, and I know I keep referencing him, but like we got the audio, and I think it's important because he doesn't talk very much. Um, just that, like when looking at pitchers, somebody asked him about like how much of an organizational emphasis this stuff is, right? Like it's not just Mike Shirley and his staff sitting in a room picking players. Like he said, Ethan Katz was up there watching video of guys that they might take. So like I'm gonna assume that Ethan Katz was like a fan of the Noah Schultz pick, and he signed off on it. Whether like that would be the guy he picked, I don't know. But like, mm-hmm. regardless of what happens with this White Sox coaching staff, like going forward and the manager and all that, like I think Ethan Katz is probably going to be here. So, you know, I think it's important to note that like, you know, they loaded up on pitching Monday and they're going to load up probably more on day three. These are you know these are guys that Ethan Katz wants in the system. And yes, there's a pitching coordinator and there's minor league pitching coaches, but I mean, Ethan Katz is like the top of that pyramid. And these are obviously guys that he's signed off on. That's really fascinating uh, for you to share that with the listeners. And just speaking of, you know, some of the pitching depth that they added, we got to talk about Peyton Pallette because right-handed 21 year old out of uh, university of Arkansas. This is a kid who 
had Tommy John surgery in January of this year. And now he's rehabbing to the point where, you know, this could have been a top 10, top 15 pitcher to go on the draft. Well, maybe even the best pitcher to go on the draft had he not had Tommy John surgery. So you're capitalizing on the upside there. But it's also very, very clear that the White Sox are not afraid of pitchers who either are ticketed for Tommy John surgery or have had Tommy John surgery because, you know, they come back stronger than ever and they're still throwing really hard. Here's the interesting thing I saw, James. I mean, this is a pattern that we're seeing across Major League Baseball now. It's like Tommy John surgery. You already mentioned it. And not only that, but in college too, it's like you just sort of expect a hard-throwing pitcher to already have Tommy John surgery. And I chuckle because it's just an insane phenomenon happening across the landscape of baseball, period. But Tanner McDougal, right, James? Now tell me if I'm on to something. Tanner McDougal had breaking pitches of up over 3,000 RPMs. Peyton Pallet has a slider, I should say a curveball. He has a curveball with over 3,000 RPMs, and he had Tommy John surgery. We know Tanner McDougal had Tommy John surgery. Is there something to that? Is there something to a breaking pitch, a pitcher who throws a breaking ball with over 3,000 RPMs, the spin rate's off the charts. You know, Jared Kelly, his fastball jumped off the page at us too. I mean, he, he hasn't had Tommy John surgery, but he is experiencing some arm issues and he's also he has a devastating slider that's what really enticed the White Sox when they drafted him in 2020 or part of the reason I should say is there something to this is there something to the fact that high RPMs lead to Tommy John surgery and do you think Mike Shirley looks at those numbers very very seriously and says this is the range we're looking for in spin rate and if they qualify we are seriously going to pursue this pitcher yeah, I mean, I think you said it, right? I think Mike Shirley has a type. Like, we, we know what he what he's looking for. And I don't think the White Sox are going to be the team that is going to take, like, a safe, like, number four starter, like, in the 20s in the first round anymore. Like, that's not happening. Like, he's, he's going to gamble on upside. I think he comes in with the mentality, and he mentioned this Friday, too. Like, he comes in with the mentality the pitchers are going to break. Like, it's probably going to happen. You know, even if it hasn't happened yet, it's probably going to happen on your watch. So you want as much upside as possible. So you get as much before and after that happens as possible. You know, I don't, I don't know about the, the spin rates. Like, does that cause them to get hurt? I'm guessing. I mean, I think, you know, I think pitching development, like everybody goes full go all the time. Right. And we had Jack McMullen on and he kind of talked about some of this stuff. Like there's a reason why all the best college pitchers in the class are hurt. Like it's, it's because of the way they train. But once they break, and this sounds so crass and so bad, like we're, you know, you're treating players basically like commodities essentially, but it's like, yeah, they, yeah, that's fine. And then they'll be back. Right. Lucas Giolito had it right after high school, like before he got, you know, he got taken by the nationals. He was recovering from Tommy John. Dylan Cease had it in high school. It was the reason why he fell to the sixth round. Right. Michael Kopech had it with the White Sox. So this is like not something that the White Sox, you know, Garrett Crochet is on the shelf with it right now. So it's like something that I think that they just kind of plan for. But the one thing that is a certainty, and obviously this is different in later rounds and we'll get into this, but I think in the top rounds, like Mike Shirley wants premium traits, like in guys that he's going to draft, right? Garrett Crochet, Jared Kelly, and then Colson Montgomery and Wes Kath with like, you know, the premium power potential. And then he did it again twice. You know, he took uh, 
Noah Schultz, but then he insulated himself with Peyton Paulette, who, like you said, was probably a top 15 to 20 pick in this class if he's healthy. The the draft comps are absolutely insane. But I mean, you know, he's drawing Walker Bueller comps like for his stature and, you know, whatever. Fine. Like if he's anything close to that, like it's a great pick, obviously. But you know, he's like a legit dude that they got at 62. It's a first round talent. And like, just to, to add really quickly before we get on to the next guys, you know, Mike Shirley did tell the media today, I guess that Peyton Paulette and Jonathan Cannon are both going to be over slot a little bit, but they should still have money to maneuver, you know, day three. So, you know, nothing too. I thought that might be the case because seven through 10 seem like money savers, but you know, not too surprising, but they got two pretty good guys in rounds two and three because of it. You mentioned the stature of Paulette. 6'1", 180, so a little bit undersized when you think about a starting pitcher in the big leagues, but, I mean, the guy's got a rising fastball and a nasty curve. Yeah, it's a plus plus fastball, plus curve. I would imagine he's going to need a change to combat lefties, but, you know, they they have a while. I don't know for sure, like, with the timeline, like, does he start the next minor league season on time? I don't don't know. I I don't know how concerned they are about that, but, you know, these guys get back quick now, and... You know, like you're just you're just not supposed to get Peyton Paulette at 62. So that's where like, okay, maybe some people don't think that Noah Schultz is worth the 26 pick. Like maybe you think he should go in the 30s. Well, Peyton Paulette should have went higher too. So it kind of like balances each other out with like those two first picks. So let's go through the rest of the draft uh, across the first 10 picks, the bonus pool. And Jonathan Cannon, right-handed pitcher, 6'6", 215 out of the University of Georgia. Just quick thoughts there because he stood out to me when I saw a video of him. Like This is obviously the first time I'm scouting these types of players. But when I'm watching Jonathan Cannon at 6'6", 215, love the frame. But his fastball in the low to mid-90s has arm side movement and he throws a cutter. So he throws two variations of his fastball. I like the way his fastball rides, James. So I don't know much about him. We're going to watch him develop. I mean, this is, you know, outside of Noah Schultz, the rest of the class is out of college. You know, we're talking about college players across the first 10 rounds for the White Sox here outside of their first round pick in Noah Schultz. What does that tell you about the way Mike Shirley wanted to get through the the remaining picks that he had on day two? And then what do you think of Jonathan Cannon, the third round pick, right-handed pitcher? Yeah, so I think it was like rank 60 at Pipeline. I mean, he I tweeted about him earlier because I was like, well, if you can get this guy at 101, this is definitely the best player on the board. It's going to be over slot. Like, I don't, I don't know how much, obviously, but we'll see. My guess is similar to Sean Burke range, like 900K or so. But I mean, he's super interesting. He's 6'6". Like, his velo did tick up a little bit. There's no reason the White Sox can't get him consistently, like 95 to 97. My issue, again is going to be like what he does against lefties, right? Like he has to find some semblance of a breaking pitch. Like I don't think, I don't really think fastball cutter change is going to work. But look, I mean, you took this guy at 101. It's another guy who was, you know, rumored to go top 50. So I kind of like what the White Sox did here. Like they took the premium prep lefty at 26. You insulated yourself with with two college righties that should move fairly quickly. I know Paulette's hurt, but this is, this is, uh, this is nice. Like this is some certainty. Um, you know, I, I really like Jonathan Cannon. I think he's, he's pretty safe. Like a lot of people don't, you know, he's probably a number four starter at his peak, but man, number four starters are hard to find. 
and he's pitched a lot at Georgia. They're going to need to tinker a little bit, I would think, like we said, with the breaking stuff. But he doesn't he doesn't walk anybody. I think he walked like 12 dudes all spring, and he started 13 or 14 games. So that's big. The stuff that the issues, I feel like, are fairly easily correctable. So, you know, I really like this in the third round. This This one made a lot of sense. So that's where we stand on day one and two for picks one, two, and three in rounds one, two, and three. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll go over the rest of the top 10 here on the Future Sox podcast because a lot of these names, James, are interesting. And some of the stuff that I want to get to and get your thoughts on include you know, projectability, of course. But we mentioned the fact that you know these are all college players. How quick can they rise through the system? We'll talk about that when we come back. Don't go anywhere. If you don't want any ads, by the way, become a patron if you want to. Go to SoxMachine.com for all that information. When we come back, we'll talk more draft here on the Future Sox podcast. There's no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back talking draft here on the Future Sox podcast. The White Sox completed their 10 picks. They will have 20 players, hopefully, joining the organization. And it looks like the White Sox, from all accounts, are going to land their 10 picks across days one and two. So that's very encouraging. And we'll get James uh, in on why the White Sox will likely land their picks because of uh, the way this draft works and, and the way slot value is attributed across Major League Baseball. It's it's different than any other draft in any other sport. So when we get to the fourth round pick for the Chicago White Sox, we get to Jordan Sprinkle. He's a shortstop out of California, the University of California, Santa Barbara. 5'11", 180. Jordan Sprinkle, defensive shortstop first. And when I was watching just some video on Sprinkle, the athleticism flies out at you. But he can't really hit, at least at this point. What is it about Jordan Sprinkle that is so intriguing? Because I can't wait to see him play professional baseball. He's already a really, really good defender, and he plays shortstop. But there's some other attributes to his game that suggest he could be he could be pretty interesting. Yeah, so I love this in round four. He was he was really good for the uh, the U.S. Collegiate National Team last summer to the point where he was getting late first round. Like love, like Jordan Sprinkle was a name that I saw in like preseason mock drafts, like you know, at the end of the first round. And then he didn't really hit at all. And, you know, if you watch him, it looks like maybe like a swing change is in order. I'm curious to see if the White Sox, like, think similarly. But even if, like, that doesn't totally come, he might be the best, like, college shortstop defensively in the class. He's definitely going to stay at the position. 
like MLB Pipeline says plus speed, outstanding range, showed off an improved arm that flashed plus over the fall. He he makes like jump throws. He's just like a super fun player. He steals bases. He has great instincts. You know, the the only issue is, like you said, like he just he hasn't really hit. So my guess is if the White Sox are willing to gamble here in the fourth round, they have some idea of at least how to alter the the swing path or something along those lines. I know, you know, we talked to Andy Barquette. There's been a lot of success in the minor leagues this year. This is like the type of athlete that I'm just, I'm willing to gamble on because worst case scenario, like he, he plays defense, you know, in your, in your minor league system and is a good teammate to everybody down there. You know, this is just like a guy that you like having in your organization, essentially. Um, The other funny thing is Jordan Sprinkle I think like in the transfer portal, he transferred to Arkansas like last week. So his uh, his time as an Arkansas Razorback lasted about 10 days, it seems like. I'm just really looking forward to his development. If the White Sox can figure out a swing for Sprinkle that works, I mean, this is somebody that could surprise you because of the speed and the athleticism. I mean, if you play shortstop, especially if you're a plus defender, that's big league caliber already. Or at least I should say triple A caliber already, right? Because, you know, some of those players are like quad A players, those who can do one thing really, really well, but struggle in other areas, whether it's hit tools or defensive tools. What about guys that do a lot of things not very well and still play every day in the big leagues? No, sorry. sorry. I don't want to talk about it. We don't have to. I can't believe you had to bring that up. Okay. Okay. Sorry. All right. Uh, As we move on. Yeah, we we sprinkled in a shortstop there. Hey, nice. <laughs> See what, yeah. How, all right. We were waiting um, the entire time to do that. I know. <laughs> the top three picks for the White Sox: left-handed pitcher out of high school, right-handed pitcher out of college, right-handed pitcher out of college. Then it broke. Uh, it was broken up by Jordan Sprinkle. Then they went pitcher, pitcher, pitcher. Tyler Schweitzer, Eric Adler, and Mark McLaughlin. Who among the three do you like? And is there anything about the three that separates them from one another? that says to you as well, hey, this could be a future big leaguer. I know the left-handed pitcher Schweitzer looks more like a reliever um, than anything else, but any left-handed depth within the organization and from the pitcher's side of things is A-OK in my book. Well, so Schweitzer's actually super interesting. Number 210 on uh, on Pipeline. So he was a two-year reliever at Ball State, and I'll get it out of the way, and Mike Shirley got his Indiana guy. Like this, this is a thing. And Ball State has produced a lot of big leaguers recently. He was Mac uh, Mac Conference Pitcher of the Year this year as a starter, and he was you know he was second in the NC- in Division One with eleven victories. I know we don't really care about victories, whatever. You know, I mean the fastball's low nineties. You know, I think he's started to throw more four seamers. You know, I think he's a fastball slider guy. The thing that's interesting, like his, his stuff did tick up a little bit. Like starting, like I think they'll send him out as a back end starter, and he'll be, you know, in their minor league system. And this is, uh, you know, talking about the strategy this year, it's just a lot different. I mean, these are five guys that we've talked about. All of them are on the MLB pipeline top two fifty. You know, and Mike Shirley said that they were looking around to, you know, try to go closer to like playing it straight. You know, like each pick. He uh, he wasn't lying. These this is. Uh, you know, these are just like guys that you can send out in your system to take the ball every fifth day. And once they're in pro ball, there's nothing to suggest that stuff can't tick up and you can't, you know, like we just watched Davis Martin. And I know that's more of the exception than the rule, but I mean, things like this happen. So, 
yeah, I think out of those guys, Schweitzer is definitely the most interesting. Um, there's there's one more that was in the top 250, though. Eric Adler. He's the six-rounder, right? Eric Adler? Yes. Yeah, so he's reliever only out of Wake Forest, but like, where have you heard this before? He was pretty bad this year. He was outstanding on the Cape last year. 60-grade fastball, 60-grade curveball, two-pitch reliever in the mold of like a full-on like high leverage option at the back end of a bullpen. He was Cape Cod League reliever of the year in 2021. He had a 115 ERA with 29 strikeouts in 15 and two-thirds innings. And that's against like the best players, you know, on the Cape. You know, MLB Pipeline says he's one of the more intriguing bullpen prospects in the 2022 draft. He was just kind of bad this year and he didn't throw strikes, but it's high 90s with spin and carry up in the zone. So his hard breaking ball gives him a second plus pitch with curveball depth and slider velocity. So this is an interesting guy. I mean, it's it's not too different than, you know, Ian Hamilton and Cody Hoyer and some of these other guys. So if all of a sudden Eric Adler's in Birmingham, like threatening to break camp with the big league team within like a year and a half, the White Sox have done this before with with similar type guys. It's It's definitely reliever only, but in round six... I mean, this is where you do stuff like this. And Mark McLaughlin out of University of Tennessee, ranked 444th of Baseball America, and you mentioned it, Adler, top 250 player. So that's something of note that we'll continue to watch develop. Before we finish up with rounds 8, 9, and 10, I want to ask you something, James, about the scouting process. And we've asked experts about this as well. How significant is the Cape Cod for scouts. Do you think the White Sox take that into account more so than others? Or do you think it's just another tool for them to get their research in? I mean, I know Nick Hostetler did. Um, He always, I think one of the big reasons why scouts like it is because on the Cape, they use wood bats. So, you know, it's just different. It's just like a college prospect league. And a lot of times it's college sophomores, you know, you ever seen fever pitch? That was, uh, that was the Cape Cod league. So yeah, I mean, I think like, like, I feel like everybody references Cape Cod success, right? So it's got to kind of be a big deal. I know Cam Collier, who fell a little bit last night, he just went and played there this year. Carson Wisenhunt was there. I mean, yeah, like every scout in the country's there. The thing that's interesting is the Cape Cod League like just happened and it's mostly for next year's draft, right? So some of these guys played well there last year. That's where like the collegiate summer league experience like that stuff, it's wood, it's wood bat stuff. So that's why, you know, it's, it's pretty important. So, but this happens frequently where guys like this, like they go to the Cape and they're awesome. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, their junior year in college, they're just not as good. And, uh, the, the White Sox have kind of had a history of doing this really, that that really reminds me of like Ian Hamilton's profile. And obviously Ian, like it didn't pan out for him in the big leagues, but I mean, you know, he was a top 20 prospect in the system as a reliever for a while and, you know, got to the majors and stuff like that. I mean, this guy gets to the majors as a six rounder. It's a, it's a scouting win. So yeah, I think, I think it's a, I think it's a big deal. Like, I think that's, you know, the, the place is flooded with scouts for a reason, right? Yeah. Talking about Eric Adler, the right-handed pitcher out of Wake Forest. Yeah. It's interesting because of, like you said, I mean, this is premium talent, best of the best playing in the Cape Cod league. So it makes sense to me. All right, James, Rounds 8, 9, and 10, Mario Camaletti, Michael Turner, Tim Elko. We'll get to Elko in a second, but 8, 9, 10, these are 23-year-old college players, all position players. Uh, Camaletti, a second baseman, Turner, a catcher, Elko, a first baseman. 
are these under slot picks? Are they legitimate? Uh, we need to focus on these players as developmental prospects, uh, not to diminish their stock as players, but as older players in college coming into the draft. Sometimes when you see these types of picks, organizations do it for a reason. What are some of your evaluations here as the White Sox wrapped up day two? Yeah, so Camaletti is interesting, but I mean, yeah, he's going to be super cheap. He's a senior, but I think he led the country in on-base percentage. You know, that's just like a guy that you, you know, you send out potentially to Canapolis or to rookie ball, and he's there with like these younger kids, and he sets a good example, and like, who knows, right? I mean, Danny Mendick made it to the majors. So, you know, Burke Granger sent me a note just saying like, look, Mario Camaletti is going to be super cheap because he's like old or whatever for the class. But he said that he's like a, you know, he's like a legit dude. So maybe he's just like one of these guys that stayed and he has some minor league success for you. My guess is the people in in Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, North Carolina are, are going to like Mario Camaletti because I think he's going to do really, really well in the low minors as as an older guy. And then at that point, you know, we'll see. So yeah, that one's a little bit interesting. It's going to be, it's a significantly under slot, I would imagine. Michael Turner, it's a fifth year catcher. He was Arkansas's backup catcher. Um, he transferred after playing four years at Kent state. You know, he just kind of seems like a defensive minded backup type guy. I mean, they wanted catching depth. I, I don't really know much about him, but they, you know, one of the area scouts like him if they, they took him in the ninth round. And obviously these are like the money saver rounds. And then I might turn things over to you here for uh, for Tim Elko. Uh, I mean, I know that he played in the College World Series for Ole Miss, and you know he, he played pretty well. He's another older guy. I think he's like 23. He's first base only, probably. So you know, if you send this guy out to the Arizona League, like as a first baseman, he's probably going to go there and match. <laughs> like he might he might hit five homers, you know, the rest of the year in the Arizona League, and then whatever you send him out to play first in Canny next year and. He seems like an interesting character and it's a, you know, whatever. Like I like, especially like, even if he's like never a big leaguer, like I like having fun, you know, older college guys on minor league teams sometimes. And he seems interesting at least. Yeah. So old Miss product, uh, 23 year old first baseman, six, four, two forty. The dude is a towering presence in the box. He tore his ACL and then finished the year and helped his team win the college world series. He's a captain. The character matters to the White Sox. Um, I'm sure that had something to do with why they wanted to draft him. But Tim Elko just seems like he shows up and hits. I mean, I don't, I don't know very much about these players, right? These are the, this is the first time that I'm learning about all of these players, and for a lot of us, that's the case. But when you start to do some dives and you read up on what scouts are saying about the player, and then you watch video about the player you start to develop your own conclusions. And right away, when I saw videos of Tim Elko, I felt like he was just going to show up and mash. And this guy could just barrel his way through the minor leagues. And this is a 10th round pick. So that was it for me. I mean, somebody that is easy to root for, a guy who's beloved by his teammates in college, who gutted out a serious injury to help his team get the highest achievement possible at the level of the sport. How can you not like a guy like that? So I'm rooting for him. Why not? I mean, <laughs> this is just a fun player to root for. I mean, it's a low risk type dude. I mean, you talk about the immediacy of where the White Sox stand with first base DH talent. We don't have to go over that. It's a tired conversation at this point, but that also doesn't freaking matter. That doesn't matter in the slightest when you're trying to draft, unless you're dedicating your draft class to like first base DH only types, and then you have an issue. But this is just a bat that could 
handle professional pitching. And if he does, he's got a lot of power attached to his profile. So it's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's good. And he's going to have his own housing. So he, you know, down in Kannapolis, so he doesn't have to live in Dan Victor's house. So that's, uh, that's good. I know Dan Victor will probably listen to the show. So that's a shout out to him. But yeah, this is the type of guy who in the low minors is just going to hit friggin' bombs and everybody's going to love him. And, you know, every org has guys like this and you see, like, you got to save money somewhere. Um, you got to fill your teams. A lot of people know this guy because he played in the College World Series. That's James Fox. You can follow him on Twitter at JamesFox917. And you should go to SoxMachine.com because we have so much draft coverage for you that if this wasn't enough, we have plenty more. Uh, and we're finally going to move past the draft uh, in a couple of weeks, of course, in, in a week or two. Now that the All-Star break is is moving past us, as well as the White Sox trying to compete for the division, uh, I don't see why they, they can't win the division with the, the amount of talent that they have, as well as where the other teams in this division stand competitively. We'll see what the trade deadline brings. That is going to be fascinating. We know plenty about the White Sox farm system. So if they do decide to acquire whatever that they need to acquire, whatever they feel like is necessary to add, we'll have you covered with what they ultimately decide to part ways with. Now, James, before we say goodbye, anybody in the top 30 here? across the the 10 rounds for the Chicago White Sox in this draft? And I know the answer to that. It's yes. Is Noah Schultz a top 10 player in this farm system already? And where does Peyton Paulette rank? And then outside of that, anybody else crack the top 30? Yeah, those two for sure. I mean, they're probably in the top 10. I think we could tell everybody this, right? Like, what was it? Like last night it was super late and this is like after the first round and Mike texts me like, (laughs) oh, where do these guys rank in the top 10? And I think I was like, come on, man. Like, I, I don't know. And I've thought about it. I just I just like <laughs> think it's hard. I think Noah Schultz, Noah Schultz is like super hard to rank right now in this system. But yeah, I mean, I think he's probably in the top five. I think Paulette, like probably ahead of Sean Burke, even though like Burke's pretty good, right? But I mean, Sean Burke was never going to be like a top 20 pick in a draft. And all that was so Noah Schultz top five James huh yeah I think he probably has to be I think he's right there with like Vera that's a guy I mean that's a guy that like could have went top 20 in this class that I think a lot of people thought was unsignable and then Cannon's definitely in the top 30 Sprinkle's definitely in the top 32 especially in this system so four guys that immediately go on the top 30 list we'll see what they do on day three they do have money so there's a chance and then you know if you wanted to argue for the ball state lefty. Mm-hmm. I think you could, cause I think like 20 to 30 in this system is pretty fluid where you could have different guys. I mean, he was the pitcher of the year in the Mac. So yeah, there's some consideration, like maybe five, definitely yeah. four though. James, thanks for all your coverage across this draft season. Check out the Sox machine podcast for a full recap of the draft. We here at the future Sox podcast just went through day one and two, which included the top 10 picks for the white Sox this season. And we're just going to see how it plays out. This is more talent being added to this farm system that we are going to follow for you because we love to do it. And I know you love to follow White Sox baseball as much as we do. So we appreciate your support. We appreciate you listening. This is the Future Sox podcast that you can get every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave a comment, maybe a rating. Email us, futuresox at gmail.com. If you have any questions or want a topic to be discussed, we'll get that for you here on the Future Sox podcast because we, uh, we provide for the people. For James Fox, 
My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Socks Podcast. We'll talk to you all next time.